This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to helping you become a savvier marketing leader no matter your level. In each episode, we will dive into a relevant topic or challenge that marketing leaders are currently facing. We will also give you practical tools and applications that will help you put what you learn into practice today. And if you missed anything, don't worry. We put worksheets on our website that summarize the key points. Now, let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ian Candido. And I am April Martini. And as we look back on the library of episodes we've created to date, we felt compelled to highlight the ones that continue to have the highest listeners and also arise as recurring topics of interest across all of our clients. And we figured what better time to take a bit of a hiatus in production than the summertime. And today we want to feature another oldie but goodie that reinforces a question we get a lot which is, how important is brand really in the B2B space? You can probably guess our answer, which is very. People relationships are key in B2B, and what helps people know you are the right choice for them? Your brand. Your brand becomes a statement for how you're going to make your clients, customers, stakeholders' life better. And anyone in the B2B business knows that this is the foundation of solid long-term relationships. So enjoy this episode, The Importance of Brand in the B2B Space with Dave Necessary, Director of Marketing and Events at Gardner Business Media. Dave, would you like to introduce yourself, please? I would love to. Thank you, um, Anne and April, for having me. Uh, As you guys know, I've been a longtime listener, uh, starting with a great episode you did on brand differentiation Mm. in a crowded space with with local craft brewery Rheingeist. Yep. Uh, shameless uh, podcast episode plug and and shameless uh, local beer plug just to to get us moving here. But seriously, I'm really excited to talk with you guys. Uh, I I can't ignore how present uh, this topic is both occupationally, uh, but also geographically. Um, Gardner, Gardner Business Media, you know, my employer is headquartered here in Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, which many people regard as a birthplace of branding and brand marketing. Um, in addition, though, you know, more than 100 years ago, Cincinnati was also largely considered the machine tool manufacturing capital of the world, uh, which is the industry that, that we were founded in as a B2B media and marketing agency. Uh, and it's still the largest industry we serve. So, so talking about the imperative of, but also the disconnect between branding and B2B through the lens of manufacturing, uh, sitting in a city which uh, has such rich ties to both is, is so particularly appropriate. So uh, it's a great topic, both again, occupationally and, and geographically. But, um, you know, three quick things about me um, necessary is indeed, and in fact, my last name <laughs> um, is uh, people ask me it all the time as if I was given a choice. Um, I've been working in business, business media and marketing for nearly 20 years, uh, almost all of which with Gardner Business Media. Uh, we're, we're an international media and marketing agency. We're just six years shy of celebrating our hundredth year in business. Jeez. We were founded in 1928, I know. Um, and uh, in my current role right now is my background is in, in brand marketing, product marketing, and event marketing, but my current role is in developing product and business across our enterprise. So opportunities in content marketing, custom research, demand and lead generation, and yes, uh, brand development and brand marketing. So um, it's a topic I'm really passionate about both on on the branding and brand development side, but also on the B2B, especially industrial or manufacturing marketing side. So I'm really looking forward to just diving in. 
Yeah, and I think you'll be the perfect round out to someone who is living this every single day because, like I said, even though Anne and I profess this, Anne comes from the consumer side and yeah. I come from the agency side. So I think it'll be great for you to help contextualize and, and keep us honest in this episode. Oh, for sure. And I will also say I feel your pain on the last name, my last <laughs> name being Martini. However, mine always clum- comes with a super clever remark like, why didn't your parents name you Apple? So there you yeah, go. Yeah, you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> There may be an ideal opportunity for us to open a bar together and and call it Necessary Martini, or or, or maybe depending on the specific life circumstance, maybe it's Martini Necessary. Yeah. um, Depending on depending on where you're at in your day, like so. At any rate, uh, last name puns aside, um, let's get into it. All right. Cool. Awesome. So with that, we'll get into the importance of brand in the B two B space. So the number one point is brand builds credibility and recognition. And I know a little bit about Gardner Business Media, and I know they know the power of brand recognition as one of the leaders in the space. Dave did a great job of setting up kind of the landscape that that they're in right now, and he'll speak more specifically to that. But I'm well aware of and a big fan of their modern machine shop sub-brand. And the thing that I admire about this is they've spent the time to build the brand so that it has credibility and recognition in the space. And I see it open doors, connect companies and offerings in this space to each other and just lead through the sheer power of that brand. So no matter where it shows up, people know who they are. They want to know what they have to say. And this is because brand has been built with intentionality and curated over, as you heard, nearly 100 years to maintain relevancy and timeliness with the historic foundation of what brand stands for. And I will do another plug follow at Dave's lead. But we do have an episode called Four Reasons to Start with a Brand Story. And so those questions that Anne set up, that episode can really help you build your brand story if you feel like you have an outage there. So not going to belabor that point, but that's there if you need it. And the final point I'll make before I hand it over to Dave is really around how companies in the B2B space tend to believe that relationships and reputation open doors, and that's what really makes a business successful. And I'm not trying to say that that is not part of it. And I do believe that that is a true power when you talk about the beta space really particularly. But I'm also here to tell you, if you don't start from the foundation of a brand and then intentionally build it from the ground up, there's a few things that can go wrong. There's more than this, but I'll outline a few. Number one, a disjointed experience that leaves people scratching their heads about what you stand for. So if you're not communicating that same brand story over and over again across audiences, through your employees, at conferences, all of that kind of stuff, people get mixed messages and aren't sure what to do with it. The other one is the industry will make up its own interpretation of you and what you offer. You do not want to let someone else own your story and tell it for you if you haven't set the foundation of what you want that story to be. And the last thing I will say as an example is you lose control of the narrative and then the subsequent leadership in the space. So Gardner Business Media wouldn't be where they are today if they had made the mistake of not starting with the brand. You want to cultivate your story. You really want to stay in the driver's seat. And then, like I said, build consistency across all aspects, touch points, employees, experiences, everything, so that that brand lives in a way that people recognize. And Dave, I know you have a ton, especially based on your intro, to say about this. <laughs> uh, for sure. Um, you know, I think the the one of the pieces of it that's most present uh, is this concept of reputation and relationship being the fundamental driver of marketing success in B2B. And I think, A, um, not only is that incomplete, 
But B, that was a notion that I think became incredibly challenged um, during the period of the pandemic, Mm -hmm. where it was more Mm -hmm. and more difficult for businesses who had traditionally, um, you know, built uh, their brand or their business or their sales and marketing channels through more reputation-based, relationship-based, or in-person channels. And, And I think that we saw a lot of customers come to us and say, man, we, we now realize where there's a void, how, how can you help? Right. Uh So, so I think, I think that that's an interesting element to it, but, um, I think to your point, I think the first big challenge that we always see is is buy-in, right? Um, there's still this widely held belief that that branding is a consumer marketing term. Yeah. And at Gardner Business Media, you know, we're in this unique position where we're both a media company and a marketing agency. Um, and 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 we know that either side of that coin, B2B's much more found is founded on a lot more than relationship and reputation. And while those certainly play a factor, I think the primary reason that we spend a lot of time surveying and profiling both individual buyers and buying teams in our industries and the industries we serve is to really understand how media and marketing um, impact purchase processes and fundamentally how brand plays into that. And, and that's something that we spent a lot of time on, um, you know, over the course of the last maybe 18 to 24 months, but it's always been a part of how we serve both sides of those of our business is, is trying to really understand where media and marketing impact both the individual buyer and the buying team and use that to help us guide how we build our own brand, but also how we help customers of ours build brand as well. And and I think the one thing that we see is for two reasons, there's an absolute imperative to establish fundamental brand principles and then amplify those across a number of different media and marketing channels that align with where your audience is. Um, And one of those is what we see when we look at buying teams. Um, You know, we find that purchase processes are in our industry are most likely to include three or more team members, right? Each of those is likely to be influenced by a minimum of three different media or marketing channels over the course of a four or five month buy cycle. So when you consider all those factors and influencers, uh, relationship and and reputation just aren't enough to gain the attention of, but also to inform and instruct a buying team that's looking to research and evaluate purchase decisions, um, especially if they're new purchase processes or new vendors. You know, so we really make sure that, that our clients are, are, and customers are, are aware of like that larger marketing matrix and how important it is that brand and channel are part of the way that you think about building your reputation, your awareness. And then I think on the other side of that, um, we find that, those buying teams, they're constantly consuming content, but they're not constantly buying. So we find that that half of purchase processes are, are triggered by a specific motivation, like a project or a technology need. Um, so if, if we or our customers aren't committed to strong brand development, uh, that's either kind of reporting what unique problems you solve or what solutions you offer early in the purchase process, it's likely that you're missing out on a big portion of, you know, buyers who indicate that they're looking for alternative vendors or suppliers that can provide better service or better solution or better technology or better price. Um, 
so so it's it's the intersection of those two areas where you know we feel like it's it's an, an absolute imperative for both us and our customers to look at who they are as a brand what the unique value proposition and principles are but also to be sure that you're driving that in ways that reach all of the influencers across your customer and prospect base uh you know outside of just that relationship or reputation piece yeah and i i think what you said is really telegraphic especially for an industry that a lot of times doesn't feel like they probably need it right because it sure. is it's, it's it is a very much on demand purchase in to, to, in a lot of respects um in in the manufacturing industry and it is dictated a lot of times or what it's conceived to be of price and you know availability and, and all those sorts of things and so a lot of times I think, especially in those industries, they kind of like, what am I going to brand around my widget, right? But right. I think what you brought up was a really important point. And your question was like, what is the value proposition? I think is right on because the value is beyond just the widget I am providing. The value, the value is how I am servicing you and providing you that widget, right? And so when you could drive consistency across that communication channel, which is fundamentally based in your brand, you drive scale and it helps sure. your brand rise, right? Because all those pieces start working together in a very harmonious way in order to elevate the brand in the business, frankly, above all the noise. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it's so so to go back to research, maybe one of the, the favorite pieces of research that we ever did is, is we asked our customers, who again are largely industrial sales and marketing professionals, how they prioritize the messages that make up their uh, marketing campaigns, right? And it was based on a question, what do you think matters most to your customer, right? So at the same time, we conducted a parallel survey of their customers who awesome. are content, content and consumers, right? To see what type of messaging most impacted them. And as you would expect, there was almost a complete inverse in response order, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the, the industrial sales and marketing professionals were prioritizing messages that were based on things like price and product features, right? Meanwhile, the buyer, their customers were looking for messages that appealed to service, solution, yep. and value, which are effectively the core criteria that make up your brand, right? Mm -hmm. So, and, and it's a great, it's a great way to go to, um, you know, customers and prospects consultatively and say, you're, you're more than just the product you sell and the features of that product and, and get inside the head of who's consuming your messaging and does it appeal to them and is it representative of the unique attributes of your brand and business so yeah i think you're you're right on well and i think that leads really nicely to the next point which is successful marketing needs a strong brand to differentiate and so all the conversation we were just having was around yes messaging but the disparity between what those messages are versus what they should be and i think what the reason that happens is because it's more of a knee jerk. This is what we want to talk about today type of reaction when you don't have a strong brand and mm -hmm. you don't have that point of view and you're not leading from that story. And I think it's further complicated, you know, and I love all the charts in your reports, quite frankly, because I'm a total <laughs> chart junkie. But right. I mean, <laughs> the ones that really stood out to me were the ones where you see how many different channels there are in marketing 
And then, like you said, the fact that you're dealing with multiple different people looking for multiple different things in a very crowded space where they're being hit with messages all the time. And like you said, they're not necessarily looking to buy anything, but you have to break through all of that noise in order to get someone to choose you and want to further that conversation with you. And I think the one thing that you can see clearly when in any space, but definitely in B2B, is when it's not starting from a place of this is who I am, how I am different, why you want me, that brand perspective, it ends up being lots and lots of category speak and me too strategies that take place. And then as you just referenced, the industry is talking to themselves instead of talking to the consumer they're looking to attract. And so then there is no use to dollars being spent and all that investment and time and energy and all of those types of things. And so I think it is a really great point. The other thing that I want to put a point on, and then Dave, I'll let you talk some more about this, but the misnomer is that it makes it harder if you put a stake in the ground of your brand and you do all that foundational work, when really, if you have that in place, when you're in these different situations, it makes it that much easier to provide the right message to your customer where they are with what they're looking for, even if they're not buying right now. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's to, to, to carry through that point of, of both brand differentiation and and also you know campaign uh display and marketing messaging uh, another thing that we do a lot of is is actual research around and reviews of brand advertising campaigns so we have members of our content consuming audience review and evaluate actual marketing campaigns and and it's fascinating because the two pieces of positive feedback that always come back from campaigns that are reviewed favorably by our audience have phrases in them like this ad appeals to engineers this ad speaks to me Mm -hmm. Uh, there is problem solving solutions and benefits listed right And then the two pieces of feedback that always come back for campaigns that are reviewed negatively are, I don't understand what's unique about this company. What are Mm -hmm. they selling? Right. And, um, and, and I think that, that going through the process and looking uh, at that, um, you know, it highlights incredibly clearly how uh, powerful it is to do that work, to not just identify and build what your brand is, but to make sure that that carries through, um, to your point, all those different touch points and channels that your brand may be present. Um, you know, we find that that 90% of our audience uses a minimum of four pieces of media or marketing as they conduct a piece of research, right? So when you think about the the multiplier effect of that, it's a lot of places for you to make sure that you're mindful of the way that you're communicating your brand, your value proposition, and your unique dif- differentiation um, across the different places that that you're sharing or communicating messaging. Yeah, I think that's super, super critically important too, because you know the one thing you know that's totally different with B two B marketing is that it tends to have a longer funnel, right? Mm-hmm. Because of the fact that you might only be purchasing something once, or in the case context of like April and I, 
you're probably only going to have like one marketing agency at a time, right? So right. the the time frame for which it comes up again that I need to go find another agency or a, another manufacturer or however that um that that time frame comes up for them you already have to have stuff in the system <laughs> in order for them to be able to find you. This is what I kind of hear you saying, Dave. You can correct me yeah. if I'm wrong. But, and, that, and that's a little bit of a difference in marketing for you know, these, this type of industry and this type of you know, B2B industry. It's like you already have to have the stuff in the system so people can find you because it's not like, oh, I'm driving down the road and I see a billboard. It's like, oh, yeah, I do need like a screen today. You know, I'm like, it's like, no, you, you're going to go find it when you actually need it. And so being in the funnel and having that funnel actually working to your benefit in order to build but, but that reputation we talked about, the thought leadership that you need, and just having that body of work that provides us social proofs, I mean, is, is so critically important for B2B. So your marketing campaigns may look a little different than traditional consumer marketing campaign, but it doesn't mean that it's any less effective yeah, I mean that that's one of the the big takeaways of of any evaluation or research that we do is, you know, these companies are all active actively advertising, which is great. Um the difference is or what stands out is the ones that are doing so in a way that is ongoing, consistent and appealing to the interests or the needs of, you know, either their current or or in some cases prospective customer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I you know, I think that gets us to, all right, all this foundation needs to be built, all of that. And our third point here is that the sales process starts with a search for brand. And so, yes, all of this stuff absolutely needs to live in the ecosystem and be out there and be hitting people even if they're not entering into the sales funnel. But I thought one of the really compelling points that were that was made in, in your presentations and your different things that you sent over to us was the fact that quite literally – search for the specific brand name in the manufacturing space is the way that people enter into or one of the handful of ways into the sales process. And so this is something I think companies are remiss on or don't necessarily focus on or take for granted, quite frankly, which is that because of the digital space we are in, Being able to recall your name and then type it into search gives you such a tremendous leg up because if you're not able to do that and you don't have that brand recall and know you want to seek them out, then search becomes much more general terms and then you're competing Mm -hmm. with everybody else that's out there and also people that might be paying a lot more money to show up first and all of those different things. And so if you can get people to that level of recognition by building the right brand foundation, then they're able to find you and immediately opt out of everything else and opt into you, whether that's your website or an ad or whatever, you know, whatever comes up that's related to you. And then from there, it's being able to pay that off, right? So whatever comes out of it on the website, et cetera, that you have the right messaging, they continue the journey, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that because it is a place where people know the leaders, know the names, if they're doing their brand right, that's something that I think gets missed and undervalued when it comes to, well, that doesn't matter. My brand doesn't matter because I can just put ads out there and someone will see those. Right. It's it's corny. It's a corny term, but but it's one that 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 we've used in the past is this idea of, 
you know, search is great and research is great, but there's a need to do what we sometimes refer to as pre-search, right? Which is what you do before your investment in SEO and SEM. And, and in other words, it's, it's making that investment in search really worthwhile by investing in brand building and brand awareness. Um, search is one of one of my favorite things to talk about and and it, like any industry it's one where um we invest in in search both seo and sem and our customers do too and we encourage them to but we also do a lot of research to understand how our audience engages with search because it has become you know such uh an obvious channel for us to do anything and you know ac across the industrial space it's the second most access channel only behind a, a vendor or a supplier's website, right? Mm. And and that should come as no surprise. But what what does surprise people is what an impact brand or recognition and reputation has on the impact of search. And and so you know you brought up one of those um, topical pieces of research. You know, there, there's really two things that that we ask about that I think are really interesting. First. Um, we ask what types of terms do you use? And second, then we ask what types of returns are you most likely to select? And, and in concert with that, you know, what impacts the term that you select? So you, know, you brought up company name. Our audience indicates that company name is the most likely search term they'll use. So if you're not already known at the outset, you're already behind, right? Mm -hmm. Which is problematic. And um, And that's something that we've seen increase over the years that we survey our audiences, it's become more and more likely for companies to do company name searches. Um, but that only really impacts a portion of search volume, um, which leads to what types of returns um, our audience is most likely to select. And, and this may be a little bit more unique to the industrial community, but, you know, we find that by almost a four to one margin, our industry is more likely to select a non-advertised organic return than an advertisement, right? Mm. Um, which I think is really fascinating, but it, but it leads to the very last um, topic that we search for, which is we ask, you know, what type of return are you most likely to select? And they say 90% of the time, we're most likely to select a search term from a company whose name that we know, right? Mm. So if you think of the bookending of name recognition, it it incredibly impacts the front end search term, but it also impacts the uh, the term that gets selected. So you know that investment in SEO and SEM may be very valuable, but at least in our community, man, if they don't know who you are going in, or they don't at least recognize who you are when they're reviewing, it puts you at an incredible disadvantage, and you know. We, we try to educate companies that the way to build your brand is to not just establish who you are, but then to make sure that you're putting your message and your name and, and your brand in the right places at the right time, not just over investing in one particular channel or the other. Um, so, so just a couple of different ways that we look at search, but more importantly, how brand influences the impact of search, uh, particularly in the industrial manufacturing space. Yeah, which is why it's so important that you have those brand elements clearly defined, especially like your brand character, your values, your your mission, your all those things that are going to be very, very important that 
in words that you want people to use in order to describe who you are? Because I think what we've seen a lot with is that, in, and, and this is why I love the fact that we're having this conversation about this industry, is that manufacturers to some extent kind of cheapen out on some of the fundamental brand elements like the logo and then the colors and then the um all of the other elements that go around with it, the tone of voice. And then they kind of put up a website because they feel like it's a necessity of having to be able to travel through. But then their website doesn't reflect and, and clearly call out and use those inter- important terms and all of those brand elements. So again, it's like kind of going back to that consistency piece, but it's also important to make sure that it's there so it can be searchable. Things also like mm-hmm. generating content, right? Being able to do blogs and do white papers if that's your thing or whatever it is in order to put content in there that when people go searching for you or searching for those those terms that those things cross link and that it pulls you up to the top which also helps to the point you just made with the organic searching um, where that seems to be especially in this industry a lot more reputable yeah I, I always tell people always ask what surprises you the most or what's the most surprising thing that you found in in you know researching search in particular and one was that, and this speaks to, again, I think this speaks to a technical or an engineering-based community who, who is really sated by the idea of finding the perfect return. But 82% of our respondents to, to a particular piece of research said that they'll, on average, uh, search two to three pages of search returns um, when conducting a web search. And I try to not put myself in the shoes of uh, the people who are responding to our research. I haven't been on the second page of a Google search in a decade. Yeah. So it it absolutely blew me away. (laughs) (laughs) I'll change the search term before I'll get to page two. Um, But, uh, but, but no, it is, it it is interesting, but I also, you know, I, I don't think it's, it's wholly unique to technical or manufacturing based marketing, but I think very much within the business to business space, you know, we, we talk a lot about social networking. I, I find the B2B community to be social networks, social networkers less and solutions networkers more where they they're quick to identify this network of places that they go to look for solutions, right? Industry sites, specific vendors, maybe some blogs or some consultancy type resources. And, and I think that that should factor into the way anyone in the B2B space thinks about their brand is how do we fit into the mind of a of an industrial buyer who's looking for a solutions network they're looking for how do i fit into solving problems that uh the type of buyer that i want to reach is trying to solve and and that's very much you know search is very much and how you return and search is very much a piece of that well and i love that part of things because i think that by even making that nuance of, you know, their solution networking, right? Mm-hmm. And some of the other terms you've used, it's because you've taken the time to really understand what are those nuances and then what do they mean as far as the customer we're trying to target. And so I think sometimes people do research and they're not really sure what to do with it, right? Like that right. whole idea yeah. of the two to three page, you know, look, 
could be something that's left out. But because you're trying to say, okay, like you said, you're putting yourself in the consumer's shoes. Well, what does that actually mean? Well, it ties to this bigger picture idea that our brand needs to have all this foundation and meaningfulness and all of that because they're going to do their due diligence. But we need to be able to stand out when they're going to that level of research in a way that they pick us in that two to three page search or learn more or go to the next click or whatever it looks like. Yeah, and it's the customer journey, right? So right. it's just, I mean, we talk about the consumer journey all the time. There's a customer journey. And yep. I would venture to guess that whoever's looking at page two or three is probably an, <laughs> an engineer who refuses to admit that they put in the wrong search terms. <laughs> and I also can say I'm an engineer by background. And I would be like, oh, yeah, of course. I'm, this page. I'm like, I didn't get it wrong. The search yeah. is wrong. <laughs> you know, but I'll tell you what, though, but both of you hit on something that I think is really interesting as it relates to this whole topic, which is, Regardless of how present you are, man, you better be able to deliver on whatever promise that you make. And I think both of you brought up both both customer journey and, um, you know, supplier vendor website. And that's another place where I see a lot of disconnect in the way that. Um, industrial marketers, uh, you know, kind of curate and then present their brand as not being mindful enough of what the user experience is for that that individual visitor who's finding that website for the first time. Mm-hmm. And and I, and I think that that's a big piece of this. You know, I find a lot of times that um, you know, from a brand perspective, does does your website deliver on the promises your brand marketing makes? And a lot of times what we find is people are looking for things that are really simple, right? Um, And a lot of times we think of our websites as these rich layered, you know, repositories of information. And really what the, the visitor is looking for is who do I talk to? If I submit a request, who's gonna help me? And what are you going to do with my information, right? Mm. Or, or how can I really quickly get access to the thing that I'm looking for? And I think that that's a, that's a piece of it uh, that should be considered as well is not, not only how are you building and curating the components of your brand, but how are they available and accessible to somebody when they do find you? And how clearly are you delivering on that promise of being able to help um, both on demand and then quickly after someone needs you. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. It's back to that journey where it doesn't just stop once you're once you've hooked them, right? It has mm-hmm. to go well beyond that, which leads really nicely to our point number 4, which is that brand helps you build long-term relationships that continue to pay dividends and We said at the very beginning, right, that the starting point can't be reputation and relationships. So I don't want to Mm -hmm. confuse that here. But what you're looking for, if you've done all the proper work and built the proper brand foundation and all of that, those relationships mature and grow as long as you continue to invest in the right way to give your customers what they are looking for from you. Mm -hmm. And I think that the sales funnel, the process to getting new clients, that's all one piece. But on the other side, it's, I think, in a lot of cases, trickier, especially when you're someone like Gardner Business Media and you're a leader in the space, to be able to maintain that and stay relevant and have the right messages for the audiences and make sure that they can get the information they need from you, but also consistently that same brand message. So even if you're not face-to-face, like you said, the industry suffered. Even if you can't do those types of things, wherever they're heading to find information about you, they're able to have the same feeling 
and know that you are delivering on that promise that you referenced, Dave. And I think the other thing that is really good is that this leads to positive word of mouth, which is where mm-hmm. I think the relation piece also plays. It's okay, so I've been a, a client or a partner or whatever with Gardner Business Media for 10 years now, and I'm one of their biggest advocates. I'm an ambassador. I'm out there talking on their behalf, and I'm saying the right things because I know what their brand represents and what I should be saying. And that word of mouth becomes gold because then it's not just them coming to you to find the information. It's them going to other people who recommend you, which makes you more credible, I would mm-hmm. argue, in a lot of instances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, we, we talked at the outset that we've been at this for a long time, you know, starting back to 1928. I certainly wasn't around then. And our <laughs> business is certainly very different then. Um, but 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 I can speak to the, the way that we look at this and, and retention uh, and relationship is the foundation of what we do, because you know, we have two core customers. We have, we have the, the people who consume our content. Uh, they're the ones who come to our website and they read our magazine and they register for our webinars and they come to our trade shows and conferences and so on and so forth. And, and, and then we have our customers, the, the, the people who invest in advertising and sponsorships and, you know, different types of on-demand programs and products and services. And so, you know, we talk a lot about what, what's the unique value of the way that we serve those two communities and making sure that that's a, a way that we continue to not just deliver value, but also kind of communicate brand to them. And, and as an example of that, you know, it, in, in the case of, um, the editorial or the content side of our business, authenticity is is a core brand principle for us because it's also very important to our audience, and and we're incredibly sensitive to what their needs are. They're, they they want um, useful applications based content. They want data privacy and respect. They want us to deliver information in the ways that they want to receive it. So that's what our brand uh, is built on. Those characteristics, right? Conversely, from from a media and marketing perspective or or how we service our customers, it's very much founded on domain expertise, right? So Mm -hmm. any media or marketing agency can say they help build brand or drive demand or generate leads. You know, we communicate consistently and then deliver on that communication that our differentiation is that we have domain expertise that empowers us to reach the hard to reach or create the contextual environments that provide additional value or deliver insights to the market and the customer. And so, so we, we see that separation, how those two different parts of our business um, forward facing or, or outward facing reach customers and make sure that those are parts of, um, you know, kind of our guiding principles, how, for how we serve both. And then lastly, you know, as a sales organization, it is relationship and service. They're at the core of our brand and, and that's in-person events and value added services and things like that. So you know, I think it's, it's important to, to point out that different units of your business or different groups of customers may have a different affinity or attachment to a core value of your brand. And it's okay to be aware of that and make sure that that's a, you know, part of your brand awareness or recognition strategy. Yeah. And and in either way, in either position or lens for what you're looking at it, the relationship and service feels like it's the way that you transcend the brand, 
right? Sure. It's the way yes. that you're communicating in the brand. So to the point that we we're making before, and I think this is a nice way to kind of round this out when we're talking about legacy. I mean, you don't have an almost a hundred year company without having a foundation for which to evangelize the company, for which to consistently mm-hmm. talk about the company. That doesn't mean, like you said, it's the same as it was in 1928. It has evolved, but the core of what the brand stands for and the way that the brand has been able to be an expressed in, in that way has been very, very consistent. So in those like, Yes, definitely. You have to switch the lens and switch where the cameras focus, depending on who you're talking to. That's being mindful of making sure that you are delivering the right message at the right time to the right person in the way that they're going to be able to to receive it. But it all comes foundationally connected back to your brand. And I think that's what some people miss is that they look at it as a tactic to go and like, oh, I need to go talk to this person. So I'm going to say that I'm going to go talk to this person. So I'm going to say that. And it's more of an exercise of saying what they want to hear versus it is like, okay, what do we want this brand to be? And what are we going to evangelize about this, this, this company that's going to be of impact to our consumer to our customer, to our client, however that lens is is um, being reflected. And then as well as being able then to do it in a way that continues to generate more opportunity. So the things that you described as value create more opportunity over and over. It's not like I'm selling you this one thing and now we're done. Or I'm selling you this other thing and now we're done. It's like there continues to be opportunity with the things that you are saying and the way that you're evangelizing the brand that creates that long-term ongoing need for you that continues to keep you top of mind too. So I think it's a very smart, very strategic way. But to make the point, it's like it's always in the foundation of the brand. And the brand is how you create legacy. That's how you are able to lends out your different customers, your clients, consumers in a way that still stays connected to a foundational purpose of which is the brand. For sure. All right. So just to recap, the importance of brand in the B2B space. Brand builds credibility and recognition. Yes, even in the B2B space. In fact, it can be your most powerful tool to success. Number two, successful marketing needs a strong brand to differentiate. It will make your story stronger, more consistent, and leave you in the driver's seat. Number three, the sales process starts with a search for brand. Clients have to be able to find you and then find what they're looking for from you easily. And finally, brand helps you build long-term relationships that continue to pay dividends. The journey doesn't stop when you make a sale. Brand becomes even more important as the relationship grows and matures. And our next segment is In the Trenches, where we give real-world examples specific to industries and situations, but with broad application for anyone to digest and put into action. And today, we're obviously talking a lot about manufacturing. You have asked for it, and now it's here. The Brand Strategy Workbook. Three insider secrets to build a powerful B2B brand to transform you from a commodity into a market leader. This strategy has been tried and tested on 20 plus industries over a combined 40 plus years of experience. Do you want to stand out in your industry and get more sales? Show you're different to attract and retain top talent? Build a brand that drives real business results? Then go to forthright-people.com forward slash brand dash strategy and get started now. In the trenches, number one, brand is great and all, but we didn't start there. Do we need to start over? And I will say we would never, ever suggest stopping everything you're doing to build a brand. And I think this is one of the reasons that companies in the B2B space hear brand and get nervous. Mm -hmm. What we are saying here is 
if you have a business and you haven't done this, there's no reason you can't start it alongside what you're already doing. And you can actually use the marketing and the clients you have to help assess what's right for you and potentially build that authentic brand much more quickly with the legacy and the years of what you've built so far. With that said, the caveat is you do have to start from the foundation of a brand story. I will plug that episode again that we have. But the, on the other side, you can test and learn and try things out without having to come to that screeching halt, which, like I said, I think is a really big concern. We talk all the time on the show about testing and learning, and this can be a great way to engage your existing community. So a lot of what we've been talking about today, and we haven't hit it directly, but it is a dialogue, right? It's a back mm-hmm. and forth. Gardner Business Media puts out these studies. They want to hear from their clients. They want to hear from the customers. They want to know what people are doing, how they're doing it, why they're doing it, what it means for them, what messages they want, all of those types of things. So if you already have an engaged community, kudos to you. And that can help you be more intentional about your brand through the lens of your marketing and then get to all the other things we talked about today more sales, stronger relationships, bigger communities, stronger outreach, bigger funnels, all of those types of things. Brand is definitely a journey. But again, it should always consist of the process of testing and learning. And we have always said that a brand is a living, breathing thing. So it should grow. It should mature. It should evolve. If you haven't intentionally done it so far, take the things that are best about you, the things that people most consistently feed back to you, what you want to stand for, and start today to build that brand foundation. Dave, you want to help us out with some thoughts about this one? Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think that this is uh, an interesting topic. The concept of do I need to start over or how do I maybe more appropriately, and we're certainly not alone in suggesting this, but we do it all the time. How do we as marketers take inventory of and audit uh, our existing brand and marketing, right? So, so regardless of you know, where someone is in their brand journey, businesses are in business for a reason, right? And they're having success and they're providing unique value somewhere. I think looking at what those successes are and what those unique values are and assuring they're reflective in, um, you know, any and all brand messaging is is the place to start, right? Um, but it, it, thinking of, you know, real life kind of, or or even current life examples of this, you know, in the, um, in the manufacturing industry, uh, 3D printing, or, or as we call it, additive manufacturing, is a technology that is, is very much kind of taking our industry by storm. And it's interesting in a couple of different regards. Um, one is, you know, 3D printing and additive manufacturing gets actually a lot of mainstream uh, media coverage and it, and it gets a lot of kind of broad-based coverage, um, but, but it's also a technology where there's a lot of entrance into the market uh, that feel a lot more like VC startup kind of Silicon Valley vibe type companies, right? Um, which means a lot more kind of metric-based marketing and lead gen and episodic marketing. And, and that's a really long way of getting to. Um, you can see as those brands are going to market, they are becoming very cognizant of the fact that they need to, in addition to the foundational that they put into place, 
realize that they're entering a market that operates a little bit differently and they start to communicate elements of their brand and reach portions of that industry a little bit differently. And so, you know, technology forcing a kind of reconsideration or pivot of brand and marketing strategy um, is kind of very much in the spirit of, of what you're talking about here. And, and it's also impacting the more traditional side of our industry, too, where they've done something the same way for so long that, you know, kind of this disruptive moment in technology is also forcing them to evolve within the foundation of the brand that has made them successful in a way that appeals to a new marketer, a new technology. Yeah, and I think... Just to build on both of what you said, Dave, and what April said is that I sometimes I think that one reason brand gets stopped at at the gate is because it feels like it's a full external exercise. Yes. Like if we're going to do brand, oh, then we're, we're putting everything up on, you know, the, the, the whiteboard to, to be totally destroyed, you know, again, from like the leg, the logo, the colors and everything like, and the idea of having to rebrand feels like it is like a huge undertaking and it's overwhelming yeah. and it's very costly. But to the point that you were, you're making is that sometimes branding is very, and, and could start very internally focused. It's just like driving some alignment with regards to the way that we're going to position ourselves, the way that we're going to mm -hmm. talk about ourselves, the way that the industry is going to receive us. And it starts with maybe message tracks. It starts with, you know, a few different advertising mechanisms. It starts playing with different types of articulation of our, our, our purpose and our values and the products that we offer. Like all of those things that start kind of feeling like they're going to have some traction then starts to be expanded into like, OK, now we have this. So now what do we go do with this to visually show up in a way that's consistent with now how we're verbally talking about it? So but that it starts like as an internal process. So that isn't as scary as thinking like, oh, I have to change everything about my whole right. entire company. So I, I like that you said that in that way, because it was a different way of, of really thinking about, OK, this is a cerebral exercise. It's a philosophy of work more than it is like I'm going to go do these things. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that that is a really clear example to talk about in the B2B space. I mean, I was I feel like I've had three or four different conversations with various B2B prospects recently. And the first thing they always say to me is, we've been nervous to rebrand because we don't want to change our logo or our colors. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I'm like, I get that, you know, I mean, just the other day it was, you know, we've spent 200 grand on this booth and we have, you know, buildings right. that have the logo. And speaking of name recall, that logo goes right along with it. And so exactly. I think the points that both of you made is that we're not saying you have to change all the things. A lot of times mm -hmm. it's what else can we build around it or what right. else can we intentionally flesh out to add to that experience. Or make it mean something. Yeah, make it mean something more or yeah. help consumers or customers or clients make those connections a lot faster by having support around those just couple of elements in a full toolkit so that we can, even if we're not saying we changed our brand, we can be more intentional about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I just had a, a conversation with one of our editors the other day, and um, I found this deck from, I don't know, probably 10 years ago, where we were uh, proposing a couple of different marketing campaigns to an association. And we probably had 20 of our different brands that were represented uh, in this deck from 10 years ago. 
and none of it looks even remotely the same now as it did then, right? Right. Which, mm-hmm. which for a lot of companies would be the most frightening thing in the world, right? <laughs> um, but, 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 but for us, we've gone through numerous brand refreshes, brand uh, kind of redesigns um, or rebrands or brand introductions, right? And, and it's always done under the lens of adding additional value or becoming more relevant in a way that appeals to our audience. Um, but, uh, that is not necessarily the path that our customers take in terms of rethinking, you know, brand design, uh, Mm -hmm. brand presentation, and then brand refresh. Yeah, no, I think that's a totally great point. And I Mm -hmm. do, I mean, I think the comment and we all laughed, but the fact that it doesn't look the same, I mean, if you're, we always talk in terms of revolution and evolution, right? Mm -hmm. And so, no, it doesn't look the same, but probably if you had decks from all those years, you could see how it changed to where it is now. And it was probably a lot less scary than comparing at that point, which is what we would call an evolution. You know, you tweak things sure. here, you surround it with more things there. It doesn't look totally different. It's not like you're going from red to blue as a color or anything like that. It's just making sure that... Um, you know, the elements that are well-known stay and then getting up to the times or, like I said, building a toolkit around it and these different things that you can pull from that add consistency, not make the system disparate or break something with your intended mm-hmm. customer. Mm-hmm. All right. Number two in the trenches. Can you give an example of when this worked from your experience? And I will go first on this without mentioning the customer directly. Um, But I have said, and I said in the intro, that in my B2B experience on the agency side, there were a lot of instances where it took a very long time for the company to even hear the word brand. And so with this particular customer, they were in a space where it was highly, highly competitive. You had big brands that had been around for a really long time, and they were spending, in some cases, billions of dollars and putting multiple campaigns out at the same time. And that was a really scary thing for this particular client. And, you know, we talked about relationships and reputation and all of those things, and they had a really good handle on that, and they thought that that was what brand meant. Until we took a big step back and we talked about, okay, that's fine, but if you, CEO, can't be in these conversations or you, head of marketing, aren't the ones spearheading things, it starts to break apart and the communications you have out there today are not giving that same message or you don't even have those types of executions and communications. At that point, they weren't doing any advertising, period, the end. And so we worked probably for a solid year to get them comfortable with the term brand. And then from there, it had to be, again, how can we intentionally build the proper brand presence for you in the context of who you are, despite the fact that you're never going to spend billions and billions of dollars? And so once we got to that area and we were able to talk about you can take small steps. You don't have to do it all at once. You don't have to change the, change the sign on the building. No, we're not going to change the logo, but we're going to update it. Mm-hmm. And all of the things we just talked about with regards to the previous question, we were able to get them to get recognition, quite frankly, for a lot more authentic brand than a lot of even those big players that were out there doing these big, loud campaigns because they had reputation, they had relationships, and they had built a business, albeit 
absent of that filter of brand. But we were able to bring that through in an authentic way. And when they went out with their campaign, it got a lot more of meaningful response. And, you know, we've been talking about studies today. We ran an ad study. And for people that were target consumers or existing clients, they were able to articulate back to us what the brand now represented instead of just, well, I pay a premium for this and therefore I expect it to be good. So all of that was, you know, a case study for me that, I mean, I won't say it wasn't frustrating at times, (laughs) but got to a very, very good place in a meaningful brand where we didn't stop. Like we said today, we weren't trying to be just like the Me Too strategies of the big guys. And we're able to find our way without disrupting their business and give them something that really meant something to their specific target. Yeah, no, I think that's a great example. I mean, we, we have a, a, a customer that, that came to us years ago in kind of a similar vein. And they said, you know, we have a technology that we think is really valuable and we have a, a company name, right? We have yep. kind of a, we have a foundation that we feel good about how they, they they looked at us in a as as a consultant and said how do we build our brand in this particular space and so we kind of did an audit of what was interesting to them um and what was unique about them and they shared the same with us and and we found really quickly that you know what what was different about them was their willing to willingness to invest and share their knowledge and their expertise specifically um they had really knowledgeable service and applications professionals, right? So their core brand value and their core brand marketing strategy completely evolved out of investing in um, really large scale branded content marketing programs that focused on those core solutions technologies. Um, and, And every piece that they did, they were very consistent in how their mark appeared that it included a specific face of a brand expert who Mm -hmm. regardless of channel someone could interact with and it had a clear deliverable or a call to action for the visitor and that carried through across their website through our channel so a tremendous amount of what their strategy was was co-branding or co-opting industry media brands to build trust and awareness and then that also led to the way that they presented at the event and they they grew remarkably over that time now they were unafraid to invest but they were also very um concentrated in saying our brand is our face our brand our expertise online in person and in print and and while they've grown into other segments and their businesses evolved incredibly they've really held true to those existing kind of those foundational brand elements it was a great success story for them and for us yeah that's a really good example too and i'll i'll drop on one that was um early in my consulting career um, because I think what is, is, continues to be a big distinction, it's a really hard one for B2Bs to make, is the difference or the cooperation of brand and business. Yes. Right. Because a lot of times in B2Bs, they see it as business. I am, I'm, you know, this is about my business. This is about making money about your business. And yes, it always is about making money for your business. But again, you know, I said the point before and I'll say it again, like branding is a philosophy in order to grow your business. Right. And so a lot of times that I've struggled is trying to get people to see that. Um, and as a consultant who was actually consulting to in a B2B fashion to somebody who was selling a product, that became the, the, the kind of the, the quintessential conversation we just kept having. And he actually said to me, he goes, 
and I feel like I'm building my brand, but I don't feel like I'm building your, my business. And I'm like, well, then there's something not quite working yes. right, right? So something is in the system that we don't quite understand that is not allowing the brand to transcend to the business. And what we found out was that they had actually flooded the industry that they were selling in with product that was sitting there that was still it there the retailers or the places that was going to be sold, which became a problem because the branding and the marketing we had set up was to introduce the product to the market. Little did I know <laughs> it's, it was sitting there already and wasn't turning, which is a totally different strategy and philosophy. So I, I bring that up because I think a lot of times that happens on the back end. And so people are like, well, see, branding doesn't work. What, what was the point of going through all that? I should have just like sold directly. I should have just put a point of sale something up and just sold this directly. And yes, that could definitely be part of the tactic. But without intent, it's still kind of flying blind. And that's what I just kept trying to tell them. I'm like, but what is your strategy with regards to that? What do you say? How do you say it? Who are you even talking to? So I, I think there's two points I want to make here. One is it's very important to understand Again, the customer journey, <laughs> in order to understand how it, all the pieces are going to fit together from one to the next to the next to the get there, and understanding all along the the the, the chain of the funnel where there is challenges, where there's inconsistencies, where do you have a lack of control, all these things that could actually influence the way that you're branding to the point that we're making below, where do you put that lens or where do you put that camera in order to be able to facilitate your business? Because the branding, again, is the foundation for which you make those decisions, but you can't make informed decisions about your branding if you're not really acknowledging everything that's going on in the system that can either enhance or inhibit your ability to be able to sell. All right. So and I think our final in the trenches question here, I think, can put a little bit of a bow on this to say to all the great points, I think, that were made throughout this episode. Number three is how do I sell the idea of brand in my organization when it's an unpopular topic? And so Anne just talked really overtly about the overlap or the way that business and brand are at tension with each other and how to think about how to make them work together versus look at them as separate functions, separate things that you need to do. And so we've talked a lot about and, you know, the examples of, okay, this is an example of when it went well, or these are the challenges that were faced, or this is why brand isn't popular. But with this one, I think I can outline and I would love to hear the you know feedback Dave and Ann that you have how to go about doing this and so the first thing I will say which I'm typically a big fan on is to go in guns blazing and <laughs> and just tackle <laughs> tackle a problem right off the top right um, but I think we've talked about legacy on this episode and you know a lot of older organizations and I think the the thing that I've heard most consistently from those types of organizations is oh, we've succeeded in spite of brand. We don't need brand. We're, you know, mm -hmm. that's not something that we have to have. And so the way that I think you can tackle this is, is one, to start small. So if you think about changing the organization overnight, that's never going to happen. I mean, Gardner Business Media, we're talking about the 100-year anniversary and a super successful company and leader in their space that continues to very intentionally build and cultivate not only the, the business, but also the relationships with the clients and customers, right? We also talked about evolution versus revolution and how that's very important consistently in this space where you make pragmatic change at intervals that make sense. Mm -hmm. And so the first thing I would say here is, again, start small 
and put a little test out there, right? Do you have a project that you could show how brand could elevate it, right? If the perception is that you don't need brand and you can show that, yeah, we were successful on the business front here, but when I added this lens of brand or I communicated at that more emotional level or I put together a cohesive message that was more than we sell this at this price, et cetera, here's what happened. That case then as number two is something that you should build as your success story and start circulating that around your organization and finding advocates that, well, hopefully understand, but at least are willing to listen about brand and and invest the time and really look at it through that filter and are willing to be educated, if not, on why that was successful. And if you can tie a monetary return to it. I think Mm -hmm. in the B2B space, this is another piece, right? That example I gave before about my client, they were a $6 billion company before we even had anything to do with marketing and branding. So even though spending, you know, 1% of that, I think we started with is the ask, which is not a best practice. um, That was hard for them to swallow because they're like, we've grown year over year, this percentage, and we just don't think that we need it. So if you can show monetary results against your test through your case, that can help to start build strong credibility. And the last piece I will say is educate without being condescending. Hopefully this goes without saying, but for a company that's been around a long time, the founder may still be involved. There's a lot of folks that have been invested in many instances in the B2B space for many, many years, and they build their entire career in this organization. They know a lot. They know a lot more than you about a lot of things, even if you also are a legacy player. So take that into consideration. Make sure that you use the proper filter and be as objective as you can about what you're striving to do and why and how it will help business success and specifically monetary results over time. I think that's all really well said. I I wouldn't um, necessarily add to it, but other than to say that in, in the idea of, of building a case or making a justification for a deeper or more thoughtful investment in brand is that I do think that there's an interesting door that's opening right now for marketers. And I think that's partly because marketing is already – uh, you know, more difficult than it's ever been, and, and they're continue, it continues to get more difficult. But I think that there is a lot of uncertainty related to how marketing is changing. And I think that's particularly due to things like uh, data protection and data privacy yes. and activity mm-hmm. monitoring, right? Absolutely. And so, yeah. So I think because of that, I think it's more important now than ever for brands to really invest in understanding the ways they need to develop the brand and build awareness. I know our audience in particular, um, they're really starting to exhibit a preference for known reputable sources and for brands that they perceive to deliver value and to protect their data and respect their privacy. If that's not part of your, your, your kind of bigger brand narrative, then I think it's a conversation that you need to start having. And, and it's a way to maybe justify um, having that discussion, because I do think there's a big opportunity for especially industrial marketers to, to start to integrate more contact, trust, reputation, data and privacy, transparency into their brand messaging and customer interactions. Yeah, and the one I'll build with is the one that I feel like, Dave, you articulated very well and in, in are expert at in this industry, which is the research. I mean, the, the point that you made with regards to what people are saying versus how the customer is receiving or the messages that they want to receive is a huge telegraphic point that 
even for somebody who is not into brand would be like, I probably should listen to this. Yep. <laughs> right. You know, so it yeah. does it does get those moments of like it, it just kind of like kind of changing the, the, the progression, because I sometimes I think our brains, as we've mentioned, kind of like go on a the path, they go on a the path and they need a point of inflection to, in order to change mindset a little bit. And sometimes those kinds of points, either if it's through a case study where you're seeing somebody else do something, you're like, what are they doing? Because it is doing something different in our industry to like, hey, I have an insight based on some research I have that could change the way we think about things. Those provide points of inflection that I think are really important to get people thinking differently, even if they're not willing to accept its brand. Fine. Call it whatever you want. <laughs> but it is it is brand. Right. So I right. think that that what you've done and, and how you've sprinkled those through, it's, it's gotten me to kind of rethink about how I've been approaching the uh, my our experiences with our clients in those industries. So you know that I thought that was very very um, insightful and and very well done by you. Well, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and that leads to our third and final segment where we have a guest, which is Dave Necessary. Yes, that is his last name. Mm-hmm. And we turn it over to you and allow you to wrap it up. So, Dave, feel free to close us out, offer any last thoughts or insights, and definitely make sure to let people know where to find you. And personally, I just want to say thank you for joining us on this episode because to the point Anne just made, I think it's been really helpful to contextualize B2B through your industry and all the smart things you guys are doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, 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 thank you. Um, let's get the easy part out of the way. Um, there, there aren't many Dave necessaries out there in the marketing <laughs> world. So I'm easy to find and, and I'm most active on LinkedIn. So um, there, there's only one Dave necessary at Gardner Business Media that you'll find. That, that said, um, certainly welcome, welcome anyone who's listening to not just connect with me on LinkedIn, but to visit Gardner Business Media. Um, our corporate website's gardnerweb.com not to be confused with Gardner Webb with two B's.edu, which is a university. Um, we get confused with Gardner Webb, the college all the time. GardnerWeb.com is us. GardnerWeb.edu is them. Um, we've got a lot of great resources there, and, and I always appreciate the opportunity to talk uh, to people in this space about, um, you know, who we are and what we do and how we can help. So, um, you know, we, we've covered a ton, and, um, and, and I've enjoyed the heck out of it, so I don't have a big finish other than to say um, I, I'd really like to thank both uh, Anne and April for this discussion. Um, really enjoyed my time, and, and as much as anything, really look forward to listening to uh, what comes next on, uh, on Marketing Smarts. Awesome. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Dave. Yeah, sure. Just Thanks, total guys. total love fest over here. All right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Just to recap the importance of brand in the B2B space. Number one, brand builds credibility and recognition. Yes, even in B2B, in fact, it can be your most powerful tool to success. Number two, successful marketing needs a strong brand to differentiate. It will make your story stronger, more consistent, and leave you in the driver's seat. Number three, the sales process starts with a search for brand. Clients have to be able to find you and then what they're looking for really easily. And finally, brands help you build long-term relationships that continue to pay dividends. The journey doesn't stop once you make a sale. In fact, brand becomes even more important as relationships mature. And with that, we will say, go and exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. We can help you become a savvier marketer through coaching or training you and your team or doing the work on your behalf. Please also help us grow the podcast by rating and reviewing on your player of choice 
and sharing with at least one person. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.